Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Oh boy, oh boy, my butt's all a pucker in thoughts of another hour of this show. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, back home in uh, lovely Concord, North Carolina. Hey, in tonight's show, uh, how about a trip report? Yeah, we'll do a trip report on uh, what's going on in Europe and my week over there. My guest... Uh, sticking with the international pipe smoking theme of uh, kind of the past couple of weeks is Ken Barnes, and Ken goes all the way back to uh, starting uh, with sweeping the floors in the Sheraton factory when he was a uh, teenager. Uh, Pre-recorded because Ken lives in the UK, and I really didn't want him staying up until 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning for this. Uh, Then we've got music mailbag rant all that coming up in uh, tonight's episode of the pipes magazine radio show um real quickly let's just talk about this uh so i got off the plane on uh saturday afternoon feeling fine no problems whatsoever a little tired by the time i got in the car for the ride home my ears started to plug up and this has happened to me once before oh going back about uh four or five years ago and I've just got to work through it but right now (laughs) it sounds like I'm underwater to me uh can't really hear out of my left ear um but anyway you know hey antihistamines and uh heat compresses and we'll get that little tube in the middle there cleaned out and just goes to show that I guess I do have a brain because the brain's not processing the sound quite uh the way it should be um Anyway, and uh, football season is officially over. Sad to say, Panthers didn't do what we wanted them to. But congratulations to the Denver Broncos. Uh, that means that uh, NASCAR is starting up Yeah, next weekend. Looking forward to that. All right, everybody, let's get the show going. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and thank you to the McBaron Tobacco Company. Here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. Thank you for calling SmokingPipes.com. This is Barry. How can I help you? Meet Barry. He's our homegrown, all-American family guy in customer service here at SmokingPipes.com. With 25 years of experience in sales, his dedication to customer service makes Barry pretty handy around here. He's on the phone all day helping customers like you from all over the globe pick out great pipes and pipe tobacco. Yo, Barry, tell me about your selection of a Savinelli autograph. 
Don't you know I saw that list of tobacco you carry online there? Maybe you could help me pick out a good Virginia, eh? You see, we hire not only the best people, we hire people who are as passionate about our products as you are. Just ask Barry why he loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Because I don't just help people choose from our great selection of pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345 or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality, we are experts, we are SmokingPipes.com. We are back, and it is trip report time. Uh, so the trip started on Saturday a week ago when I headed to the airport. Um, let me uh, let me tell you, rant is going to be about American Airlines schedules. There you go. To say the least, the timing the timing of the flight was not perfect. Uh, when I so you get on the plane at six. 6 o'clock, 6.25 Eastern Time, the plane takes off. Head overseas. We land at about 7 a.m. I knew this. This was the schedule that they had. No problem. I understand it. All right, so I had a choice of a four-hour layover or a seven... Uh, or yeah, four-hour layover or a nine-hour layover. I chose the nine-hour layover because it was actually long enough that I could, you know, get on the train, go into London, and wander around a little bit. So... That's what I did. Sunday morning, got on a train at about 9.30 in the morning from the airport, went into London, walked around. It was perfect London winter weather. It was about, oh, I don't know, 35 degrees and rainy, misty, nasty, and somewhat breezy, but I got a chance to wander around. And you'll see if uh, you follow me on Facebook, I posted some pictures of my little... uh, uh, Sunday morning and afternoon walk around where I got to walk in front of the Dunhill store and the Davidoff store, the famed Davidoff of London store. And then even better was J.J. Fox. None of these stores were open. <laughs> Dunhill was the only one that opened up on Sundays and uh, they opened from uh, noon to five. Uh, did get to actually go into the Thomas Pink store, the main flagship store of Thomas Pink. And, of course, I love their clothing, so it was nice to see the main flagship store. Uh, But other than that, just really got a chance to wander around London, saw Westminster Abbey, heard Big Ben ring, and uh, sat and had breakfast in a pub, and then headed back. All right, so the reason for this entire trip was uh, two days of meetings at the McBaron factory, to discuss our forecasts and budgets for next year. It was big business stuff. Um, while I was there, what's going on right now in Europe is the uh, there's a new tobacco directive that is coming out that is requiring all pouches and packaging to have a set amount of space and a set size, so they are in the process of doing some retooling and getting ready for this. Uh, maybe what I should do is a whole, uh, a whole pipe part segment on it coming up because, uh, it's got a whole bunch of weird little tricks to it and all the member nations have to sign off on it and it's all due in May to start or, and none of them, only two of the 28 have signed off on it. Uh, but anyway, while I was there, the one thing that did shock me was as they're getting ready to do this retooling, 
and we're getting ready to launch uh, St. Bruno and Gold Block coming up in the U.S. in a couple of uh, a couple of months, hopefully. Um, they've had to uh, accelerate production, so I saw the most amount of flakes, uh, cakes of flakes that I'd ever seen in my entire life. Uh, literally four pallets, four pallet loads of St. Bruno Flake just sitting there. And then just rows and rows and rows of other pallets of other McBaron product because they want to make sure that they've got plenty to get through this changeover in uh, packaging that they're going to have to go through. Uh, let's see. On uh, Monday, if you're ever in Copenhagen, let me tell you. Uh, first of all, there's still places that you can smoke your pipe indoors and get a drink. Uh, you have to know where they are and you have to ask for them. Uh, but stop by the Danish pipe shop right on the main walking street. The most amount of pipes I've seen on display in the smallest store and the friendliest staff you're ever going to meet. These are pipe and pipe tobacco specialists and they love everything that they do. Plus, you're more than welcome to hang out in the tiny store and uh, smoke your pipe while you talk to them. Uh, so do head by the Danish Pipe Shop in Copenhagen. Uh, and again, going back to uh, McBaron, yeah, we met and talked and have a whole bunch of uh, whole bunch of things that we've got to work on. Uh, the factory, again, just jam-packed. I'd never seen that many flakes before, but look on my Facebook page. You'll see I took some pictures of them. Hope nobody was looking while I did it. Uh, but anyway, I took some pictures. Um, had a couple of really nice dinners. Uh, again, the uh, you know the Danish food, <laughs> not the not the most gourmet of dinners in Denmark. So you tend to look for other uh, you know other other types of restaurants besides traditional Danish food. But I absolutely love the breakfasts and the lunches there, and of course the coffee was really good everywhere. Um, fast forward to, uh, Friday, head back to Copenhagen and fly back to London where I went into London, met a friend and we hung out for about two hours having a dinner at a pizza place that they like and then walked around that little part of London, hopped on the plane and the next day on Saturday flew back and it got me back home and, uh, yeah, it seemed to have settled in from the jet lag now once i get my hearing cleared up i'll be a much better much better all right so there's my uh, trip report and again i'll uh, i'll talk more about that european directive coming up in a in a couple of weeks here all right in just a minute my uh, discussion with ken barnes this is internet radio craftsmanship history tradition these are the hallmarks of all quality products. From the finest wines bottled in France to the most highly engineered automobiles manufactured in Germany, Denmark has been the one country in the world where craftsmanship, history and tradition have for centuries created the finest pipe tobaccos in the world. Since 1887, the Halberg family have led the pipe tobacco industry through their ownership of Mac Baron Tobacco Company and they continue to create the most sought-after blends in the world today, just as they did over 100 years ago. 
In keeping with their long history of providing the world with the best tobacco on earth, Mac Barron is proud to announce their newest creation, Modern Virginia, as a loose-cut version and a flake version. Bright and dark, rich Virginia tobaccos have been combined with just a hint of burley for strength in this soft and smooth smoke with delicious fruit undertones. As the world leader in flake tobacco production, Mac Barron is sure that this blend will appeal to the true connoisseurs of traditional Virginia flake tobacco, as well as those who like their tobaccos on the sweeter side. Enjoy the culmination of centuries of experience by picking up a tin of modern Virginia from Mac Barron Tobacco Company. Available at fine tobacconists everywhere. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and as I said, as part of our International Pipe Smoking Day tribute, this time we go to England, and uh, the home of many storied British factory pipes and British pipe makers, and joining us is somebody who's got quite a history in pipes. We'll dig into that in just a minute, but please welcome Ken Barnes to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Good evening. Okay, so tell us, how did, uh, first of all, where in England did you grow up and how did you get involved in pipes? Well, um, basically, my father, I, I actually came to England first when I was seven. My father was in the army, in the English army, and um, we were posted to Malaysia, Germany, Malaysia. And in 1962, we came back to, uh, well, we sort of came to England, really, for me for the first time. And um, <clears throat> my father was still in the army, um, but was looking to, um, you know, retire from the army in his early 50s and pursue another career. Um, we we were in we were posted to Salisbury in Wiltshire, which is um, 10 miles from Stonehenge. And so I grew up there. Uh, so as a kid, would you go run out, run around and play out at Stonehenge? Um, no, I, we weren't quite that close. Oh. But I, um, we were in Salisbury, so um, we lived actually 100 yards from Salisbury Cathedral. And I went to the Salisbury Cathedral School when I was young. And I played things like um, cricket and rugby football or... Um, and as you call football, yeah. and uh, and other things, you know, just what kids normally do: went fishing, played <laughs> golf. Uh, so, how did you get involved with pipes? Well, my father retired. My my grand, we we are three generations in the um, tobacco sort of pipe tobacco business. Um, my mother's father, my mother's German. And her father was uh, um, one of the directors or managing directors of uh, a tobacco company called Reimsma Tabak, which is actually now, I think, the fourth largest tobacco company in the world. And and he, uh, my father, was looking for um, another challenge other than, you know, the army. And um, he, uh, my grandfather knew Herman, lane very well and um, they needed someone to manage and really develop um, a pipe company in London and so my father you know he he got the job actually as managing director of charities 
So there we have the, uh, I mean, that's right in the heart of the heyday of Sheraton for many collectors. This is the early 1960s that he took um, Yeah, he joined about 1969, I think. Uh, 1968, actually, and ran it till 1978. And then when did you come into the business? Well, um, when I was um, in 19... Um, just one moment. Uh, <laughs> it's such a long time ago. Yeah, in 1969, 1970, I was just coming up to 15 years old. And um, I got a holiday job um, sort of sweeping up at Charitons and working in the packing department. So um, my father wanted me to sort of just experience the business from the ground floor. <laughs> So to learn it from the ground floor, he said, here's a broom, now sweep the ground floor. Yeah, and actually I worked in the basement. The packing department was in the basement at the time, so it was just a smell of briar um, because all the briar was stored down there. And um, myself and a guy called Jeff who taught me how to pack, um, I, I, I sort of dispatched a lot of the orders. Um, I also helped bring the bags of the sacks of briar upstairs to the turning um, turning room, turning workshop. So you built muscle and knowledge at the same time. Yeah, I mean, there were sort of like little barrows, which I used to push around with a, ba a sack of briar on it. But yeah, I, uh, and I walked every morning. I, I, I had to sort of walk through the factory to get to my sort of designated area. So I would absorb, soak in the finishing department and people because I was the son of the managing director, I suppose. They were all on their best behavior, I don't know <laughs> quite, but they were all very, very um, warm and receptive. Uh, what brands besides Sheraton were being made then? I, I seem to remember, I mean, I worked there for years later. I worked in um, doing the sandpapering and grading, you know, the bowls. Um, at the time, I seem to, and this is really a recall, I seem to remember in the sandpapering department, after the bowls were turned, though obviously the catalog shapes were being turned, um, you know, copied, and um, there were four craftsmen, um, hand turners, who were turning the plateau briar and making free hands. But the the selection part in uh, the bowl grading, there was I seem to remember there was Chariton, there was which was sort of clean. There was Ben Wade, yeah. there was Mountbatten and Commodore. They were the four sort of grades, you know, I mean, obviously they were called different names probably when they were finished, but they were the main sort of qualities. Wow. Now let, let's fast forward to you're no longer in school, and when do you start working full-time there? Well, um, when I was um, 17, I mean, I was still, you know, pretty student-like. Um, getting up to mischief and whatever, 
um, when when I was 17, my father, um, I wanted to develop my languages. I spoke sort of okay German. Um, and my father said, well, how about if you go and spend some time in France and learn French a bit better? So I went to um, my father, the Chariton agents um, in France, in Lyon, were, was a guy called Bernard Villar. Villar, um, I've, I've noticed on eBay, Villar pipes, they're quite, I think his family were to do with sort of Saint-Claude for many years. And um, I went to live in Lyon um, for six months, and I worked there for um, the Mazda company, you know, just um, a steel fabrication company. And I started learning more about French. Then I moved to Paris and lived there for a year. Um, and then I moved to um, Heidelberg, and I worked in a pipe store um, which was actually owned by one of the guys who was distributed, one of the distributors for Chariton Pipes in Germany. <laughs> so I worked there learning the business, learning um, what people actually wanted. And I was also working sometimes in the factory. I spent another year um, sort of uh, in the sandpapering department because my father said that is sandpapering the pipes and shaping them is the make or break part of pipe making. Wow, so your so your father I, really set you up on a international business apprenticeship. Yeah. And I, I just sent you all over the place. Then when I was I, I also during the during that time I was working in German Street in the Chariton shop as well um, for I would say six seven months and um, and in the lunch hour I would walk across the road and I actually introduced myself you know at the time Astley's was sort of oh no I mean they're the competitors sort of thing but the the managers in those days. Um, were quite the, the old type of English shopkeeper, you know, and quite stiff and formal. And they wouldn't dream of going into Astley's, but I loved pipes by then. It was really in my skin, under my skin, and I wanted to look at different pipes. So I, I, I went, I went, and I talked with um, Paul Bentley's father a lot. I spent some time in my lunch hour just looking at things and explained that I worked in the Chariton shop. I, I then went to work in a, a really good shop, Ferdinand Geiger in Munich. And I spent a year there um, working. And, and also, obviously, I, I went to the Frankfurt International Fair with the German distributors of Chariton pipes for many years. I think I've been 20 22 times, I think, to the Frankfurt Fair. Wow. And now that that's the same so Frankfurt was, Fair that's turned into a smaller event in the Marriott Hotel across the street? Right. Not sure, but um, it was the International Fair, and um, it had all, everyone was there. You know, the smoking department was in Hall 6, 
And it was ev everyone from Savinelli, I mean, right across, you know. And the most beautiful thing is, you know, I knew Paul Stanwell. I knew, I knew my father used to, I used to go with my father and I met all the pipe makers, all of them, <laughs> you know, and I knew them personally. Um, Sven Berg, you know, all of them, Oli Larson, um, Akil Savanelli, you know, all of them, and, and we would just talk and go and have a beer, and you know, and it was amazing, a really amazing experience for me. Now, was your first personal pipe, was that a Sheraton? Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, I love Canadian shape um, and straight grain, if possible. And um, I smoked, um, I, I was given one, which I, I liked the shape of one of them. And after a lot of humming and ahhing with Dennis Marshall, who was the production manager, and, well, he can't have it. He's got to pay for it, you know, and all that. <laughs> Uh, but it did have a flaw on the shank, you know, but they, they gave me that one and I really loved it. I don't quite know what happened to it, but I really enjoyed that pipe. Um, yeah. I, I got a passion for straight grain. I was, I was glued to the hand turners when I was working at Chariton and I would hang out and watch them cut on the saw and watch them turn and and I was working right alongside Joan Nicholson who was the the sandpaper who sanded all the free hands, the charity free hands. She was masterful at it. And I spent nearly a, I think nine months or a year with her, right next to her, working next to her. And um so I really got a good feel of of how how this works, you know, how the how the business, the handmade aspect of pipe making works. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we'll get more into hand making pipes and then uh, where Ken ended up. We'll go through all the history. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. At Cornell & Deal, we think the best things in life are better with age, and we are passionate about creating the best possible pipe tobacco available. Fueled by this passion, we introduced the Cellar Series, a collection of blends like no other. While the blends in this series are ready to smoke now, each one has been meticulously designed to optimize depth and complexity as the tobacco ages in the tin. Currently, the Cellar Series is comprised of Oak Alley, Chenet's Cake, Joie de Vivre, Old Grove, and Bourbon Blue, but we will be unveiling new additions to this very special series as time goes on. Pick up a tin to smoke now and save a few for later enjoyment so that you can experience all the richness and subtlety each blend will reveal through the years. Cornell & Deal's Cellar Series. The secret ingredient is time. Contact your local or online retailer for information. 
are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with Ken Barnes. And All right, so Ken, talk us through. You, you spent a year in the sanding department. At what point did you finally get to turn pipes and start making pipes uh, from start to I, finish? I've, I've never, I never turned pipes. I, I did the bowl turning, you know, on um, preset machines for catalog shape models. I, I never actually turned a pipe. I tried once to rough one. I um, I think it was because one of one of the craftsmen at Chariton's, one of the the hand turners, um, his chisel came up and he lost his eye. Oh no! And, and that was probably before they wore protective glasses and stuff. And I just sort of it, it just scared me a bit however i loved the saw you know cutting the plateau on the saw i really liked the idea of that so i actually became a cutter and and um you know anyway later on i became a cutter of plateau so my specialist sort of part of manufacturing was cutting because and selling so I could. I was doing the first part of the process of pipe making and the end part. So I was sort of cutting what I thought people wanted at the time. So the, this this really goes back to the days of a factory where everybody had a specific area and you know didn't. Not one person took a pipe all the way from start to finish. Well, um, absolutely. Um, however, you know, in the in the Turners, like Stan Haney, the Chariton Turners, or and Dan Tennyson and Barry Jones, sometimes when they when they had a, a few, um, they had turned and they were really beautiful straight grains, potential to be achievements or supremes and whatever they would actually take them through the next stage and come and say, hi, Joan, look, I've got a few. Or because she had so much work on, they would take them through and sand them, you know, trim them off and then sandpaper them, ready for, you know, fitting and finishing. So they would do that. Wow. Now, were you with Sheraton all the way till the end of that factory? Well, yeah, what, what happened was, um, my father, you know, obviously Herman Lane had told my father, look, Dunhill's are interested in buying the company. And, you know, historically, I'm, I'm learning now, I'm learning every day. This has always been since 1918, when Alfred Dunhill took Sassini, Joel Sassini from Chariton, <laughs> um, to work for him. There's always been this sort of rivalry between Chariton and Dunhill. I didn't realize that till recently. But um, Dunhill was, and, and we thought, our first idea, my father's, and I don't think I told anyone this actually, was to, um, we, we knew a Swiss guy who was a banker, and we were sort of working out a feasibility of buying Chariton ourselves. To continue the name, and um, that wasn't possible. So my father knew it was sort of he'd done his time there and he'd done what he needed to do. So we needed to look for other things, and actually, Sassini was 
for sale on the market at the time. And we looked at the feasibility of buying Sassini because it had quite a strong name. Um, unfortunately, that wasn't to be. So um, we decided to set up our own factory. Actually, my father wasn't a shareholder. It was myself and my mother. And um, Barry Jones was very up for doing that as well because they knew that they would be closing down, down Mansell Street, you know, the Chariton factory, which had been there since, God, 18-something, you know. And so the new company, tell everybody what it was and what and what product you were making. Well, um, you know, because I really loved hand turning, um, I just wanted to do hand turns. And my my middle name is, um, I'm Kennedy George Upshaw Barnes. My father was Kenneth James Upshaw Barnes. My brother is Nicholas James Upshaw Barnes. So Upshaw is a family name. And I thought, well, James Upshaw, you know, in memory of my brother and my father, you know, and we also had a, an ancestor um, called James Upshaw, so, and who was a pipe smoker. So I thought, well, we'll look, we'll call it James Upshaw. And so I, I started that with Barry Jones when I was 23 years old <laughs> in 1978. Just, just a youngster. Yeah, and but with with passion and with the most amazing craftsmen in England. I mean, without a shadow. I, you know, taught by uh, Reuben Charriton himself. You know, and he'd been doing it since he was fifteen. He was peaking. He was such an amazing. He could do every aspect of pipe making the best that anyone else could. I mean, from finishing, promising, hand-cut mouthpieces. He, he was a master at all of it, right to packing, how he wrapped them. And, you know, just amazing, breathtaking, breathtaking. An amazing guy, and he taught me an awful lot as well. So, so we decided to do just hand-turning, just hand-turning using plateau or small plateau briar, and, um, which is what we did. And we, did, we were making, um, in 1979 till 19... Well, I, I left there in 1989. We were um, manufacturing about 240 pipes a week. So at the time, we were, I think, the largest hand-turners around it, it, 240 pipes a week and what would, what were the price points on these pipes because upshaw is a premier top quality brand yeah i mean we we would um we'd only make smooth pipes and we wouldn't fill anything so anything with some um you know flaws or small we would try and you know, reduce them, but they then became tilted, and we'd finish them in a natural or a sort of burgundy stain. So everything was, um, and all the upshaws were clean. And, um, you know, it may have a couple of sand spots in the James Upshaw S grade, and the P grade was like a light walnut, which may have had a couple of sand spots around. Um, 
And that's what we did. We were like purists, real pure. And it's a tough business, I tell you. It's not for the faint-hearted. <laughs> no, because at the same time you were watching the, the market had changed and fewer and fewer people were interested in pipe smoking. Uh, but, at yeah. the sa- but at the same time you got some of the international market. Well, yeah, I, I, I would go on a Saturday. I'd go to these stores in London, Desmond South, uh, um, Davidoff, Edward Sahakian, um, you know, just the, the ones, you know, in, in the main centre of London who were very into, you know, selling pipes and, and upshills. And then I would go to, um, we were exporting to Italy, Switzerland, Holland, Germany, and that was it really and um and my father since then he'd sort of retired but he had opened a shop in salisbury uh, a pipe shop and it was like you know and so he was able to sell um some a lot of the till sets which were coming through i mean it it's just fascinating to me to think of all the all the people that you got to be around and all the quality and then it slowly became a smaller and smaller market uh yeah besides the canadian was there another shape that you really liked making well the the ones i like cutting obviously um i mean it's and then also reuben charis and his favorite shape was the, the dublin the number 33 on the charitan shape and that's because it exposes the grain, you know. And and I suppose where there are Dublins, there are mon- there's money if if the grain's good, you know. <laughs> um, I find I think the most beautiful pipe would be either a Canadian straight grain, but not cut the Dublin way, cut where the briar's upside down, so the it doesn't flare. It comes from the top. Um, down, if you if you understand what I mean, yeah. And that is a, a very rare to get straight grain billiards, straight grain Canadians. It's it's, it's really um, it's challenging for a cutter, but they everyone you make it sells every single time. Obviously, the straight grains they sell anyway. I mean, you don't have to do anything. Just, there's a waiting list. Um, but we we decided on a healthy production because we wanted to develop the name internationally, and it's really important. So the, my father used to say, "Look, it's there are it's about quality, quality, and quality, with a little bit of quantity. <laughs> Keep the quantity there, because a lot of people. I mean, my favourite." Um, Pipe maker is probably Ingo Garby, yeah, um, a German uh, pipe maker originally from Hamburg. I mean, what beautiful pipes! But he would take them through on his own. You know, he was a one-man guy, and his pipes sold before they were made. I mean, you will never find one really for sale. They're so rare. Um, but you know that ideally to get Barry just to, or I would cut it and Barry, we did it a few times. We'd take them right through. I would cut it. Barry would turn and take it through on his own. Um, and that's what we were doing in 19, 
in, we started in November 1978, um, and we stamped each James Upshaw with 78 on it. Well, it was only November and December, so they're very rare Upshaws, because we had only made about 150 of them wow. in those few weeks. Um, but those were Barry taking them right through on his own because we didn't have any, we hadn't trained any um, any people up at that stage. So if you want a really rare Upshaw, look for one with the 78 yeah. stamp on it, and you know it's from the first year. Yeah, well, because it was in November, so it was only yeah. like, it was November the 8th or something till the end of December, so it was only like seven weeks. Now, did you continue stamping the years on there, or did... Or did that drop? No, out? we didn't. No, no, no. It was only 1978. Don't ask me why. I mean, looking back on it now, I mean, it would have been amazing if I had really, I mean, there were so many things on hindsight I would have done differently. Um, but obviously for collectors and for, for people, how, how amazing it would be to, to, um, to date um, an almost the Dunhill type thing, but for a different reason. Uh, I mean, I think Alfred Dunhill did it so he could tell whether that one was still under guarantee or not. Yeah. Um, but I would have done it for a different reason. Um, but, you know, also, I, someone said the other day, um, just looking back on it, what I could have done differently is we spent a lot of time perfecting the bowl and not so much attention on the mouthpiece. And someone, a, a very sort of a, a big collector in America, said to me, I think Dunhill did the reverse. They spent a lot of time on the mouthpiece <laughs> <laughs> and not so much on the bowl sort of thing. I mean, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. Um... I mean, I would have loved to have um, hand-cut everyone from Rod, you know, all the upshaws, but it was just not feasible. I mean, we worked it out. It just, it wouldn't. Have, it would have just cut all the production down, and I don't know. But it could have happened. We, you know, and um, as Socrates said, there are no mistakes, only lessons. <laughs> or, or as I always say, in hindsight, I would have rather been born lucky than born good-looking. Uh, when when you were out selling to the international market, were there certain shapes that just didn't sell in some countries? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, in Italy, they wanted classical, and Germany just classical. I mean, double, and then obviously in America, it was more in that late Chariton freehand era where big, big, bigger. You know, so we were we were buying plateau. I mean, in in the German market, they they said, look, if you, we would rather have nice bird's eye Canadians than straight grain. You know, a bit more sort of unconventional type shapes. So what I started doing was buying a, a size of briar called M double F four to five which is very long length, but I would turn it the wrong way around. <laughs> so 
so it four to five meant it's about five centimeters high. But if I turned it around the wrong way, the way it's not designed to be cut, I could actually get straight grain Canadians out of it, um, wow. which actually amused Otto Brown, my supplier, because um, he's been doing it for years and supplying Dunhill and everything, but he thought it was quite smart. Um, so I could get the shapes that the Italian market and the German market wanted, which is much more classical English, if that makes sense. Yeah, in a little more traditional sizes where we Americans, we want it big. Well, yeah, and also, you know, rough tops and, you know, the Danish type influence and the Chariton influence. Um, And actually what Barry was taught to do, but I mean, the demand is the demand. But I'm much more for classical straight grains, which are actually much harder to achieve. From my perspective, in my opinion. One final question. Uh, you retired in 1989. What happened with Upshaw after that? And Well, well, what happened to me? <laughs> <laughs> there, there's only one addiction where you're praised and given more money for, well, sometimes, and that's workaholism. <laughs> um, it can become really obsessive. And I, I was married... And I was going to London on a Saturday, I mean, working in the factory during the week, going to London, selling on a Saturday or going there, and sometimes on a Sunday just coming in to do a, cut a few blocks and this and that. And, and my wife said, look, you know, you're just not spending, you know, it's not fun for me. You're just work, work. And then my American agents would phone me when I got home from work. Yeah you know, all that stuff. And she sort of, in a way, she gave me an ultimatum, really. And and this is my ex-wife, by the way, so, you know, there are no mistakes, only lessons. And so I left, I I left, which was difficult for me, but also it would have, I'd sort of set it up, those 10 years, it was really start, it was going okay. And the contacts were all there, and we had American agents, Marble Arch, which was doing well, and, um, you know, Pete Siegel was really, really helpful. And, and you know, he he, did, he was passionate about the pipes we were making. So um, I, I just sold my shares at that point. And my wife regrettably left me about a, two years later anyway, but um, hey-ho. So now, what do you do in your free time? What keeps you busy? Well, what happened was about six months ago or eight months ago, I happened to be in a, um, we call them car boot sales. You call them swap meets or something. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I saw a char- I saw a pipe there. I just picked it up and it was a Chariton, like, you know, straight grain executive or something. And I thought, Wow. How much do you want for this? And the person said, oh, I don't know. Well, you know, I don't know, you know. And I said, well, I'll give you a tenner. And he went, what, why? You know, 10 pounds. Yeah. He went, why? I mean, he was expecting a pound. And, you know, because he didn't know what it was. (laughs) And um, then I went on eBay, and then the whole thing rushed back, you know, all the 
you know, all the Pides and then that person, Sassini's and Dunhill's and Charitons, and then I saw some Upshaw's and, and, you know, all this just rushed back in my life. So for 28 years, oh, and then the other thing that happened was um, Pete Siegel, actually, someone, a guy called Rick, Rich Lewis. Yeah. I don't know if you know him, but yeah. he happened to see my name on something on, I don't know, something completely, nothing to do with pipes. And then I got, I connected with him and then he knew Pete Siegel and then I connected with him and it all happened within about two weeks. It was just strange. So after 28 years of just being totally not involved with it at all, and I haven't seen Barry Jones for 28 years either. And although he sends my mother a Christmas card every year. <laughs> but things, you know, with I'm not getting any younger, but at the same time, that passion, I mean, it was a bit weird, all this sort of recall and remembering things. But actually, I quite enjoy it. I love pipes. So now you're back playing around with pipes, and we're glad to have you back. Yeah, brilliant, yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for that. Ken, we'll wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Yep. What's your favorite pipe? Um, I've got a James Upshaw Canadian, which is a really nice pipe, which Barry made for me one day because he knew I liked it. It was just there. I think I may have cut it, you know, the block. <laughs> Um, that one smokes really well. And what's your favorite tobacco? Well, now that's that's weird because I I actually and this is I, I'm sort of a bit embarrassed to say this. I really like Cavendish tobacco. I was sort of brought up on Captain Black, which is so un-English. <laughs> At the same time, I like Charles Rattray tobaccos. But I like quite mild tobaccos. I'm not too into the Latakia mixes or Perique too much anymore. Um, sort of light, lighter tobaccos. Nothing wrong with what you like. It's just what you like. No. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite drink? Well, I, I don't drink alcohol. Um, I used to drink a lot. Um, I haven't... I, I haven't had a drink for what 14 15 years so i don't drink but um i don't know i like diet coke a lot i drink quite a lot of diet coke there you go uh when it's time to relax do you prefer a book a movie or music um that's weird because i don't read i don't read books i don't like reading um a movie like movies like sort of, yeah, detective-type crime movies. And um, and I like talking with people. I like connecting with people. And I love my golf, which has the connecting with people and the game as well. Uh, a couple of times I've played golf, people wanted to stay away from me. Uh, <laughs> this will be the toughest question for for you. Do you have a particularly favorite pipe smoking memory that we haven't talked about? Um, possibly. Um, we had such an amazing time. The Pipe Club of London, they were having a pipe smoking championship. And that was really memorable. 
the the time before we'd actually brought a lathe to the Pipe Club of London and we gave a demonstration on turning pipes and and they loved that and then um, the next month I I met up with Desmond Souter and we went down there and we had such a laugh that was real camaraderie um, and and they were just such an amazing bunch and I I just had such a memorable time I didn't. I didn't manage to keep my pipe alight for as long as some of them. Um, but we had a really good time. Yeah, that was very memorable. Ken, I want to I wanna thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'd, I'd love to have you back again sometime in the future to talk about, the, uh, to talk about those old tobacco shops of London. There, I'm sure there's more stories that, that we can... Oh, yeah. That, that you've got, and... Uh, Appreciate everything that you've done in the past and your passion for uh, pipe making. Brilliant. Hey, thanks very much, Brian. Thanks for asking me. We'll be back in just a minute. It's Saturday morning at the crack of dawn. The cool chill of night still clings to the air as the sun slowly rises over the misty surface of the lake. You've waited all week for just this moment. You know that today is going to be epic. Everything is here to ensure perfection. From the nice full cooler packed with your favorite suds to the other empty one, waiting to be filled with piles of freshly caught fish. Reaching into your pocket, you pull out your trusty briar and fill it with your favorite tobacco, aptly named Great Outdoors. It is the perfect smoke for moments like these. A strike, a flash... And your tobacco is lit as the delicious mixture ignites and swirls over your tongue and the deep, rich burleys with a hint of sweet Virginia dance in your mouth. You smile, casting your first line into the water. The slowly widening ripples begin to stir as you feel the first bite of the day tug at your line. Now you know it truly is going to be a good day and a perfect time to enjoy the simple, yet unmatchable pleasures of the Great Outdoors. Great Outdoors is another fine quality pipe tobacco manufactured by Sutliff, America's oldest tobacco company, and is available at fine tobacconists everywhere. Enjoy your perfect day by purchasing a tin today. This is Internet Radio. We are back, and I could have, uh, in fact, we did. Ken and I stayed on the phone afterwards talking about a whole bunch of stuff, uh, but I'd love to have him back. Let me know if you if you want me to have him back. We'll uh, we'll get him back on, have him talk about more of what was going on in uh, in London back then. All right, so uh, Dino, my buddy Dino, sent us uh, sent me a whole bunch of links. This one popped up because I stayed at the uh, Copenhagen Plaza Hotel uh, the first two nights in Denmark. And Cream was one of the celebrities that they had listed on this on the place that stayed there, including Winston Churchill, Dwight D. Eisenhower, a whole bunch of a uh, whole bunch of bands from the seventies and eighties had stayed there. Anyway, uh, so Cream, drummer Ginger Baker, uh, pipe smoker, and uh, there's a few other people that you might recognize in this band, including um, you know Eric Clapton. So here's. Cream and Crossroads.
That takes us way back to when uh, stereo recordings were actually, you heard what was on the left on the left and on the right on the right, and it was live. What in the hell? You've got mail. All right, going back to last week's show, John Siler writes, hi, Brian. Uh, hello, Robot Brian. <laughs> yeah, see, and this Robot Brian speaks English and understands it. Uh, anyway, uh, John writes, I am familiar with both Nording and Refbeard pipes however being of the danish school i do not favor them in my collection i believe i've seen some videos uh of nicholas's pipe gazette uh when i was in paris i could not find much quality tobacco and what i did was very expensive smoking uh let's see smoking was outside the hotels i've always wondered why french pipes have not taken off in the u.s Great interview. Music Gloria West doing the Uptown Lowdown. Quite a swing. Rant, even though I've found my 99% smoking tobacco, you should always try something new or old. You might like it. Good show. The robot did his job well. Okay, thanks. Uh, Casey Ghost writes, another fine program. Not familiar with Refberg at all. Never really got into Nordings. Enjoyed the interview with Nicholas. He has a really nice story to tell. Gloria West came across as quite charming, and the music was entertaining. Uh, back in the 70s, I used to smoke amphora and really enjoyed it. Uh, let's see, Voorhees writes, uh, owning both a Soren freehand and a couple of Nordings. I'm quite familiar with both. Good to know the back history on both. Good interview with Nicholas. Gloria has that special connection to some great music, and her passion shows through in the song. Excellent. Good to hear that amphora is making its way back to the U.S. Never had it, but we'll be trying it. And Lonesome Piper writes, nice episode. We are having a national pipe smoking contest here in Brazil in July. Uh, the contest pipe is a Nording. I'm excited as I've never smoked one. Uh, very nice interview. Listen to it twice. If that strong tobacco is a bit like Semois, I'll definitely like it. How can I get it? Uh, how can you get it? I guess you're going to have to find a uh, French uh, tobacconist that mail orders. Uh, music was very nice when Love This, She Was Right. Those swings are a nice way to get people started on jazz. Rant, I have the opposite problem. I tend to like a bit of everything. Wish I could find the perfect one for me, too. And let's see, what else do we have here? Uh, Mr. Lowercase says, As much as I love Pipe Gazette, I think I'm more in love with Gloria. Wow, she's the bee's knees and that flapper look mesmerizes me. <laughs> All right, and going back a couple weeks ago, uh, Mike Murphy wrote me as a truck driver on the road every night. I really look forward to hearing this. With that, I have a lot to catch up on. I just finished the first 30 episodes of the show, and I really appreciate the info you pack into each 45-minute episode, so thank you, Brian. Uh, you haven't gotten where we expanded to an hour yet. Um Anyway, he says, I know it's early, but will you be attending the West Coast Pipe Show? As someone who lives in Central California and as someone new to the hobby, I'm going to make the drive to the show. Thanks again. Love the show, Mike. Uh, Mike, you are very welcome, and yes, I will be at the West Coast Pipe Show. It's one of uh, one of my favorites. 
And uh, lastly, Nicholas Burnsworth writes on Facebook, thanks for uh, your acceptance, Brian. I'm a big fan of your radio show and have been listening since 2013. Thank you for your service and dedication. You are very welcome, and in just a minute, I'll get to serve you with another dedicated rant time coming right up. If you're looking for quality, if you're looking for a variety, and if you're looking for someone with a reputation for nothing but the best, you're looking for CupOfJoes.com. CupOfJoes.com has hundreds of pipes to choose from and thousands of different pipe tobaccos. CupOfJoes.com is also your one-stop shop for Peterson Pipes, their exclusive line of Peterson Kelly Pipes. Check out their remodeled website at CupOfJoes.com and be sure to like them on Facebook, CupOfJoes.com. Quality products at extraordinary prices. What are you looking for in a pipe? Is it the quality of aged briar? Is it a certain shape or finish? Maybe it's the sound engineering that ensures an effortless, smooth draw with each and every puff. That's exactly the kind of pipe Savinelli has delivered for generations now. With such a variety of shapes, finishes, and sizes, it's easy to find something that fits your sensibility and style. Just this year, we've expanded our lineup to include the Bianca, the Lancelotto, the 2015 collection, and the final installment in the Leonardo da Vinci line, the Vitruvio. For a bolder style, try our more colorful 2015 editions as well. The exotic cashmere, the sultry licoricea, and the striking archipelago red. So whatever you're looking for in a pipe, know there's a Savinelli waiting for you. Contact your local or online retailer to find your Savinelli today. between American Airlines and U.S. Airways was completed in October of last year. Yeah, they are one airline. So what that means for me is the one flight that I liked to London going overseas is now gone. Gone. Why is it gone? Because, well, American Airlines, they've got too many flights going over to uh, Europe and they didn't need to compete anymore, so... Uh, so yeah, the, uh, the 10 o'clock at night, 10.31 going to London that used to get in at like, uh, oh, I can't remember what time it got in, like 10.30, 11 o'clock, perfect midday arrival time, no problems, connect three hours off to your next destination, that flight's gone. Uh, what I liked about that flight in particular was you could spend the entire day at home pack and then have dinner and then go to the airport at 8 o'clock, get on the plane, have something to eat and drink and fall right to sleep and sleep until you got there. So you got four or five hours of decent sleep. Now the flight leaves at 6.25, gets into London at 7 a.m. I'm not tired at 6.25. Now you get on the plane, you eat, I'm up another four or five hours and then I end up with maybe an hour or two of sleep before they start waking you up to get back there. Airlines, let's have some later flights on those overnights so that we're not getting into the next city at the crack of dawn. Let's have the night, have the have the late night flights going out 
so that you get into the next city and then you got a chance even if that's your last city you got a chance of getting into the hotel in two or three hours and getting a little bit of rest before you go out for dinner anyway but like with all things you know with mergers and stuff like that hey there's going to be some fallout so i may have to look around for another flight going over to europe anyway um Hope you all enjoyed the show. Hey, leave us ratings and reviews on iTunes. We really do appreciate those. We really could use a few. Uh, Tell all your friends about the Pipes Magazine radio show. Like the Pipes Magazine radio show on Facebook, and you can follow me there as well. I want to thank uh, Ken for taking time to talk to me and uh, hope to have him on soon. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time. Cares about the clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy You ever been in a cockpit before? No, sir. I've never been up in a plane before. You ever seen a grown man naked?